Just to say, before we actually even read this next part of the book of Ephesians, um, I feel I need to just offer a slight word of warning. Um, It has three headings, this bit of Ephesians that we're looking at, and they go sex, greed, and drink. I always get these topics to talk about, don't I? Um, But just to say, if you have got children in the room who you feel this might be a bit inappropriate for, I will deal with them delicately, but this is the subject matter before us. So um, just to give that word of warning before we start. And I also thought, if I stand here and I start swaying, looking like I'm drunk, at least I've got something to hold on to. But you know it's dizziness. It's not anything else. Let's open God's word, shall we? We're in Ephesians chapter 5, reading from verse 1 to verse 20. It's on page 1111, if you've got a church Bible in front of you. Lots of ones. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you there must be not even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity, or of greed, because these things are improper for the Lord's people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are all out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For you were once in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Always give thanks to God, the Father, for everything, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray for a moment, shall we? that first verse, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love. Lord, we pray that as we look at this passage this morning, that these key elements of what you are calling us to will resonate deeply in our hearts and lives. Lord, we just give ourselves to you, and we ask that you speak to us through your word. By your Holy Spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. It's been quite a week, hasn't it? Was anybody glued to the news on Thursday? There was resignation after resignation. There was a plot to oust the Prime Minister. 
And then we got to the end of the day and she was still there and we weren't quite sure where we were up to. But it's all to do with Brexit, isn't it? This Brexit deal that is on the table. And if you're a Brexiteer, then it's no good because it ties us too closely to the rules of the European Union. But if you're a Remainer, it's no good because if we're going to be tied to the rules, we want to be able to influence the rules of the European Union. So it's not really keeping anybody happy at the moment. Would you like to be Prime Minister? No. I thought coming out to the church meeting on Thursday, I thought, I have an easy life compared to Theresa May. We went out yesterday and we tried um, the new road. I don't know if you've been on the new road between the airport and Hazel Grove. We have family that live over that way. And on it, there is a speed limit that says 50. Yet, from the way most people were driving, it looked like that was a suggestion, not a limit. Because I was driving at 50-ish. I won't tell you exactly my speed because it will either lead to pride or you're thinking I'm a sinner. Um, But people were sort of going past at 70, 80, you know, just screaming down this road. Because there's a problem with rules, isn't there? We look at rules, and if we just follow them, we find that we can't. We can't just be rule keepers. What Paul starts to do in Ephesians 5, in the second part, is he turns his attention um, to how the Christian is called to live. What is the life that we will now live following Christ? And here in this chapter, following on from chapter 4, this theme about what the life of the Christian, the life of the disciple, looks like. Now, sometimes if I'm talking to people who aren't Christians, one of the objections that I find is that people say, well, I don't want to become a Christian because it's just a load of rules. You've got to stop doing things that I enjoy. I would have to change my life, and all this stuff gets cut out. You know, it would be very easy to read chapter 5 in isolation and say, well, this is just a list of rules. It's things that we're not supposed to do. It's things that we can say, well, if I'm doing that, I'm a bad person, I'm a bad Christian, and I'm not following Jesus properly. I always remember a conversation that I had a number of years ago with a friend who was in the youth group that I was part of at the time. So I was a teenager. So, you know, you are rewinding quite a bit. And this girl said, um, and the, the context was that we'd just come back from spring harvest. Everybody in our sort of youth group was, you know, on a spiritual high. We'd all been praising God. We were all saying we were going to follow God with everything. And she said to me, she's really honest, and she said, you know, I know I can manage to look like a good Christian for a while. I can stop drinking. I can stop having sex with my boyfriend. I can sing louder in church. I can put my arms in the air and look like I'm praising. But then the reality hits home. It's skin deep. I've not actually changed. Because what she was trying to do was follow a load of rules. The external stuff and actually the inner transformation was not taking place. Because there's a problem with rules. We can't keep them. Paul will address this in great length in the book of Romans. There's a problem with the law. It's not that the law is wrong. The law is holy. It reveals God's heart for us. But actually, we can't keep it. We can't keep it. It says in Romans 7, verse 10, Paul says, I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. That which God has given to give us life, we cannot keep, and so it brings death. And what it also does is it it, um, gives us guilt when we fail, pride when we succeed, a list to rebel against, 
And worst of all, we just hide away our failure and never talk about it. But the good news of the gospel is that we are not in the Old Testament. We are not bound to just following this tick list of rules to make us acceptable to God. A bit later on in our service, we'll be celebrating communion, where we celebrate that Christ died to fulfill the law, to take on the sin that we have committed, and to allow us to live in freedom. To allow us to live, if you like, with the parachute. Romans 6, verse 14. Paul says, For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under law, but under grace. He then goes on to say, but that doesn't mean that sin gets to increase. He says, heaven forbid, that is not what we're after. But we're after a life that is transformed by the Holy Spirit because of what Jesus has done. So as we read these verses today, can I encourage us to think of this not as a load of rules for living, but as a rule for life. A way of being in our whole um, sort of existence that seeks to follow Jesus. One person talking about a rule for life said, actually, this is what they call it. This is who we are, and this is our story. So the, the term rule for life goes way back through the history of the church. There were monks who used to have a rule that they lived by, you know, the Franciscans and the Benedictine rule. And we're not going to get into all that kind of stuff today. But just from this passage that we're looking at, what I think Paul gives us is a way of living. This is who we are. We are children of God, dearly loved children of God. And so we have this encouragement. One translation actually puts in verse 2, let's walk in the way of love. Can we read that last bit out together? We are dearly loved children of God. Let's walk in the way of love. So which way of love? You know, I'm quite capable, as I'm sure we all are, of loving the wrong things. So this is not my definition of what love is. This is God's definition of what it means to walk in the way of love. The love that is demonstrated through what Jesus did on the cross. The love that means we love the Lord with our heart, our soul, our mind, and love our neighbor as ourself. What does it mean? Well, primarily, it's a life of imitation. It means that I seek to follow Jesus, who has demonstrated love for me. Now, I remember when I was training to be a minister, one of the lecturers used to keep asking us, how are you going to live? What is going to be your rule of life? How are you going to exist when you're leading a church? What's your life going to look like? I think it's a really valid question, isn't it, for all of us. What is our life now going to look like now we're following Jesus? And so Paul will address in this passage three areas. Sex, greed, and drunkenness. Three quite interesting topics to look at this morning. We will look at all of them. But there's one thing that I think these have in common. And it's that they are all, in some way, based on human experience. You know, part of sex is about human experience, isn't it? Greed is about human experience. You know, if I've had a piece of cake and I've enjoyed it, and I think I'm going to have another, it's because I want to relive that experience. Greed makes us want something extra. If I go into a shop and I think, oh, I want to buy this, that, and the other, I want to experience something that I don't already have. And drunkenness is about experience. People get drunk to celebrate, they get drunk to commiserate, they get drunk for all kinds of reasons, but it's about experience, it's about a changed reality. So let's have a look at these different topics. First one is sex. 
The world that Paul lived in was not that dissimilar ethically to our own. It was a highly sexualized culture. There were some religious cults in Paul's day that actually encouraged people to have sex with as many people as you possibly could in as most creative ways you could possibly think of because that was the pinnacle of religious experience. And if you didn't get involved with that, then actually you were seen as unenlightened and sort of a bit backward. And we look at that and we look at today's world and I think we can see stark similarities. So what Paul is talking about here doesn't jar with our culture, but rather it speaks right into it. Ephesus was in this, um, this, this city, this Greco-Roman city. It had this huge temple to the goddess of love in the middle of it. And there were temple prostitutes. It was a highly sexualized place. <clears throat> Think of our culture in the West at the moment. Since the 1960s, our culture has undergone some kind of sexual revolution. And even in very recent years, we found that things move on such a pace that as Christians, I don't just think we're on the back foot, but I don't even think half the time we know what we're talking about in this area. We don't know the terminology. We don't know how people are thinking. And it can be very difficult to pin down exactly what our culture is trying to tell us. Best place to turn when you don't know what to do is to song lyrics. So here we go. Here's some song lyrics from Sam Smith, not Debonian's wonderful son, but the, the singer Sam Smith. He says this, I make no promises. I can't do golden rings, but I'll give you everything tonight. Magic is in the air. There ain't no science here. So come get your everything tonight. I think that's a summary of where we're up to in our culture. Any Cheryl Cole fans in the room? Don't put, yeah, you won't admit to that even if I ask you. Will you? <laughs> Latest song, Love Made Me Do It. Love Made Me Do It. You get these songs that speak of what society is telling us. You know, if you're going around supermarkets, if you're going into shops, you will hear this kind of music played. You cannot escape it unless you just internet shop and sit in silence. You can't escape it in our culture. This is what our world is teaching us. This is incredibly far removed from God's plan for human beings. Incredibly far removed. You know, in God's plan, sex is not a taboo, it's not dirty, it's not embarrassing but it's actually holy. It is hallowed by God. God has looked and said his creation is very good. It came with plans in it, and it is very good. But sex is to be only engaged in in that committed relationship, that marriage relationship. So for Paul, the solution is, well, not just don't have sex in that kind of way, but he takes it several stages back, and he looks now at the character of the follower of Jesus the character of the Christian. Look at verse 4. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. Now again, we could read this and say, well, this is this just not a pile of extra rules. Let's just delve a little bit deeper here. Tom Wright, who's commentating on this passage, he says that when we change our language what happens is also our thoughts start to change. When our thoughts and language starts to change, then our behavior starts to change, and our whole character starts to change. So if we're praying to the Holy Spirit to help us be transformed in this area, it's not just to say that we don't do one thing, but it's to say that our whole outlook has to change. See, if I'm always going around telling rude jokes or making lewd comments, 
then I shouldn't be surprised if ultimately my behavior follows suit. I shouldn't be surprised if that's what happens. I don't know if you ever do this, but you're sat in your house in the evening, the TV is on, the adverts come on, and suddenly there is a picture of the most amazing food that is being advertised. And you sat there, and you were perfectly content before, but now you feel hungry. And now you want to eat, and it doesn't really matter what it is. You will eat anything, but you want to eat. Do you ever do that? Yeah. It happens, doesn't it? If we feed ourselves... if you like, the life of a sexualized culture. Don't be surprised if we start to find ourselves living in that kind of way. If we place ourselves in the culture, in the sound world or visual world, then our behavior, sadly, will often change with it. So what does Paul say to do? Stand back. Change the talk. Change the outlook. Watch what you watch, watch what you listen to, watch what you look at on the internet. Well, he didn't say those last three things, obviously, but that's the kind of message. And with it, the concepts of how we feel, how we think, and how we behave will start to be transformed. Because what we're doing is aligning our whole life to Jesus' plans and purposes. Not just trying to tick list those things that we shouldn't be doing. And so can I just say to all of us this morning, if you are struggling in this area... And believe me, if you're a human being, you will struggle in this area. We all do from time to time. Then this is God's word to us. This is God's encouragement to us to imitate Christ in this area. And to not just tick list, but to have that life of transformation. You know, I think as a church, and I think just generally, we need to be a lot less uptight when it comes to talking about the real issues of the human heart. And this is certainly one of them. What does Paul say? Imitate Christ. Follow the way of love. We are dearly loved children of God. Let's walk in the way of love. So that's sex. Now we move on to greed. Greed is a bit more hidden in this passage. It's not quite as blatant, but it's there. It's in verse 5 where Paul says, the greedy have no inheritance in the kingdom of God. You know, greed is the cause of so much human misery, isn't it? We look at environmental catastrophe in the world at the moment. Why? Because we're greedy. We we try and have too much. Greed is often what causes the poor to be oppressed. Greed can often mar relationships. It can cause us health problems. It can wreak havoc in our hearts, and it can hinder our spiritual growth. Sometimes I find that if I'm sliding away from God, that I try and substitute it by buying things. I don't know if anyone else does that same thing. You may do different things. But I suddenly find that I'm looking on Amazon or eBay for something that I want. And I know it's not going to make me happy, but I do it anyway. And then when I've got that thing, I then go on to the next thing. And then I suddenly find myself being pulled up saying, actually, I'm just falling into this trap of greed here. I'm falling into something which will not fulfill those desires. Because what's the root of greed? Come on, does anyone want to make a suggestion? What's greed all about? Why are we greedy? It's about us. Yeah. Selfishness. Looking for satisfaction. All these are true. Any others? Yeah, comparison with other people. One thing I was sort of thinking is that when we are greedy, one thing that we're saying is, I'm not happy. I'm not happy with what I have. I want more. I want more. Paul says, don't live like that. Don't live like that, but rather live a life 
of thanksgiving. Be thankful for what God has already given us. Now, if we try and turn don't be greedy into a rule book, you know, good luck with that because it would be like this thick. It would make that EU um, document seem like child's play compared to the document we'd have to have. Because it would be on every area of life that we'd have to be saying, you know, when I'm at a buffet, make sure I don't eat too much. Make sure I'm not greedy there. Make sure I'm not greedy here. We can't do that. We can't live to those kind of rules. But we can pray for that heart change that means we have a life of thankfulness, not of greed. So Paul's call, well, it's changed the narrative. Live as children of light, it says in verse 8 to 10. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness and truth, and finding out what pleases the Lord. I love that last bit, finding out what pleases the Lord. That's the life of adventure, isn't it? Finding out what God wants for us. Finding out not what pleases me, not what makes me happy, but actually what pleases the Lord. And in doing so, we will be blessed. Do you remember those old bracelets? I don't know whether people still wear them with the what would Jesus do on them. I think actually there's a lot of sense in that in just thinking about how we live. What would Jesus do? Would he be thankful? Or would he be grabbing for ever more and more? What would Jesus do? Let's just remind ourselves. You can read the second bit out together again. We are dearly loved children of God. Let's walk in the way of love. And so we get to the third topic, drunkenness. Now, I grew up in a household where my parents um, didn't drink at all. And my mum's parents, um, they were good Methodists. They signed the pledge in the first years of the, the 1900s, probably about 1920 or something like that. Um, and I have great respect for people who, for all kinds of reasons, choose not to drink at all. We've got to be careful what actually Paul is saying in this passage, because there's all kinds of different things said about alcohol throughout the Bible. 1 Timothy 5, verse 23, Paul says to Timothy, Stop drinking only water and use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. Why does he say that? Well, he says it probably because the water where Timothy was wasn't very good and the wine would have been safer. It would have been safer to drink wine than drink polluted water. Wine throughout the Bible is named as a drink of celebration. It's there right the way through the pages of Scripture. Jesus turns water into wine. Why do I say all this? Well, because I think we do need to be very careful about what Paul is actually saying. The wine of the Bible, and some people have tried to argue that it's not alcoholic, but actually the word that is used is the same word all the way through, and it's the word that describes wine. And in some of the Psalms, it talks about getting drunk on it. Now, you cannot get drunk on grape juice. So it has to be something that has alcohol in it. So why should we not get drunk? Why is this a call that Paul puts to us here? And the Bible is consistently saying this. Do not get drunk on wine. There's all kinds of scriptures we could go to. I don't know if you've ever met somebody for the first time who is drunk. Have you ever done that? First time you ever meet them, they're drunk. It might be that you're just chatting to somebody at the bus stop. It might be at a party or wherever it is. If I've ever met somebody who is drunk for the first time, I really have no idea who they are. Because they can't even portray themselves properly. You know, they're either slurring their speech, they're being rowdy, they're being overly emotional, whatever drink causes in their particular way that they are. As followers of Jesus Christ, we are called always to be imitating Christ and demonstrating him to the people round about us. If we can't even demonstrate who we are, what chance have we got 
of demonstrating who Christ is. So that's one reason. Another reason in here is that Paul says, well, it leads to debauchery if you go around getting drunk. What's debauchery? Well, it's all that stuff that he's been talking about already, about sexual immorality. It leads to that kind of stuff because we lose control of ourselves. A recent article about relationship breakdown listed being drunk, drunkenness, alcohol abuse, as one of the top things that causes relationships to fall apart. Alcohol abuse cost the NHS £3.5 billion last year. If you want to look at it another way, that's £55 for every man, woman, and child in the UK. Just to treat the effects of people drinking too much. So can I suggest again that this is not about a box-ticking exercise, but it's about a whole different way of thinking about life. A rule for life that says, let's imitate Jesus... Not let's just get a longer and longer tick list. You know, if I make um, the rule that I say I don't want to get drunk, if that's it, then what does that say? Well, the drink becomes the forbidden fruit, and we just end up with that longer and longer list. But actually, if I say in my life I want to follow Jesus, and following the way of love, for all these reasons we've talked about, involves living in this way, then that becomes a very different prospect, and it becomes a very different way of living. Let's just say this again. We are dearly loved children of God. Let's walk in the way of love. And so now we've had these three areas and we get to something that is far more exciting than, if you like, the problems that we face with our own brokenness. So what Paul does is he takes this theme of drunkenness And says, well, actually, don't go around getting drunk on wine. And just by the way, it is wine and any other alcohol. It's not just exclusively wine. (laughs) But he says, instead of that, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. And it's a kind of, instead of this, don't get involved in that, but do this instead. Because this honors Jesus. And there's something in us as human beings Most of us like to celebrate, don't we, in some way, shape, or form. It'll be Christmas in a few weeks. We celebrate that. We then celebrate New Year afterwards. We celebrate birthdays, anniversaries, exam results, new jobs, and retirement. We basically like celebrating. You could read this passage if you didn't get to hear and think, well, this is a rather dour existence. This is all about do not. But now Paul replaces it with the most amazing do this. Do this instead. The context is about life filled with the Holy Spirit. Life that is lived with the purposes of God at the heart of who we are. When John Wesley um, was preaching in this country in the 18th century, he became acutely aware that actually when people had converted, when they'd given their lives over to Jesus, if you didn't organize them into doing something else, actually what so often would happen was they would slip back, and within a few weeks of saying, actually, I follow Jesus, they'd be back in the alehouses, they'd be back getting drunk, they'd be back um, sort of in violence and whatever it was. And so what he did was he said, actually, people need to have a different way of living. There needs to be a transformed life that we can offer to people. So Wesley got people involved in small groups, he got them involved in meeting together, in having meals together, and their life became so much better than it had been previously. At the same time that Wesley was preaching, there's another great preacher called George Whitfield. 
Now, he had just as much success in terms of saying to people, follow Jesus, and people responded. But actually, by the end of his ministry, there was no movement to show for it. People had just sort of more or less dispersed and gone back. Why? Because he hadn't spent enough time thinking about the transformed life. He'd done all the stuff at the beginning of this passage, but not said, instead of all that, do something that is radical, different, life-fulfilling, life-enhancing. And so we get to verse 19, and we're called to have a, um, a life of song with each other. That doesn't mean we go around singing to one another randomly. But as humans, we, we sing, don't we? We make music. We listen to music. It's part of the soundtrack of our life. And so what does he say? Sing to each other with psalms, you know, the Old Testament psalms. Speak those over one another. Sing hymns, hymns that declare who God is. And then these songs of the Spirit, we seems to think that he's talking about improvisation here, about words that just come out of the human heart in response to what the Holy Spirit has done. Then we get to verse 20. Always giving thanks to God our Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, we can read this and think, well, Paul, this is okay for you. You know, you're, you were an apostle. You experienced Jesus on the Damascus Road. But actually, how does this work out in my life? What does this look like? Well, this isn't just a call to some kind of ongoing experience. It's not just that. This has to be rooted in the history and the very nature of Jesus, his death, resurrection, ascension, and coming return. We've heard today, as we've heard about the week of prayer, there are times when God will be tangibly more present with us, and it's great when that happens. There are times when physically we may experience God, but it's not just rooted there. This has to be rooted deep in the person of Jesus Christ. You know, I think Paul is thinking something quite different here. And it's this walk in the way of love. Be filled with the Spirit. Change the whole rule for how we live. Not so we're box ticking down a long list of things to do and not do. But so that we want to become children of the light who follow the way of Jesus. It's about changing our minds, seeing our character transformed by the Holy Spirit. Not just tick-boxing our behavior changes. And it's a life of celebration because of what Jesus has done. It's a life of freedom. It's a life with the parachute on and open. And this is the life that Paul commends us to. So can I ask you a question? What's your rule of life? How are you living? This is who we are. We are children of God. We'll be singing that in a moment again. We are children of God. This is how we have been named. This is our story. We have been bought at a price. So then, how will we live? Because of all that. Let's read this for one last time. We are dearly loved children of God. Let's walk in the way of love. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we pray that if any of these things that we've looked at this morning resonate with us, if we need to take action in any of these areas, if our life has become less than you call it to be, Lord, as we gather around the communion table, would, would you, by the Holy Spirit's power, convict us and cause us to come to you and ask for mercy? But Lord, for all of us, I want to pray that you will give us this great vision of what the life of the disciple is about, what the normal Christian existence looks like in following you, 
and following the way of love. So be with us by your Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.